For hundreds of years, the planet Mars has been the subject of heated controversy among scientists. Falcon Heavy is configured for flight. Tango Delta nominal. Five, four, three, two, main engine start, zero, and liftoff of the Delta rocket with opportunity. When you look at a planet as one little tiny dot in space, it, it really isn't representative of what's going on on the planet. It's a stretch goal. It is so audacious. We are one world, and that we are more connected than we um, give ourselves credit for a lot of the time. Hello, welcome to We Martians. I'm Jake Robbins. This week, we're returning to Gale Crater, where the Curiosity rover has recently transitioned to a whole new chapter in its mission, moving off of the Vera Rubin Ridge into a new clay-rich valley. But before we take a look at what this rover is up to, there's a couple of housekeeping items I want to take care of. I've got some bad news, some good news, and some fun news. And I'm a tear-off-the-band-aid kind of guy, so let's do the bad news first. I'd like to say a little bit about opportunity. So I've been sitting here thinking about what I could possibly say about the Mars Exploration Rover Project, which spanned end-to-end almost two decades and whose roots go back even further than that. It's a big mission to unpack. Though the rover is gone now and the MER project is over, the way that a journey like this interweaves itself into the lives of so many people for so long means that it can't just be ended with a press conference. I'm still getting used to it not being there, and I'm sure you are too, but for now, I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped that rover drive over 45 kilometers across Mars, take over 217,000 photographs, and really redefine what a nominal mission duration means, turning a 90-sol abbreviated observation into a 5,000-sol odyssey across Meridiani Planum. Of course, we're working on our own tribute to this robot and its mission and the people behind it, but we're going to take our time and do it right. It's a lot to unravel. I'm deep in research and planning. Um, I've got some interviews planned out, some ideas, so stay tuned. It won't be right away, but it's coming. Okay, if I haven't bummed you out too bad and you're still around, let me try to cheer you up with the good news. I am tremendously excited to announce that the University of Glasgow PhD student Anya O'Brien has won our 2019 We Martians Travel Grant to present her work on Martian meteorites at the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference this month. Anya is studying the carbon content inside meteorites. Carbon is, of course, a key ingredient for life, and understanding this carbon and where it came from can go a long way to helping us understand the habitability of Mars and to inform future missions like NASA's Mars 2020 rover and ESA's Rosalind Franklin. Anya is also heavily involved in outreach, volunteering, and diversity initiatives. She's a, the secretary of the UK Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, and she also does a number of talks and outreach for her community science institutions and more. Now, we're covering LPSC in our next episode, so look forward to hearing more from her about her work soon. For now, congratulations, Anya, and huge thank you to all of the We Martians patrons who contribute to this show every month. Combined with the proceeds of our planetary t-shirt sales, we were able to contribute 800 US dollars to Anya to help her with her travel costs from the UK. So that means your pledges not only help make me make this show better, they're now directly contributing to our further understanding of the red planet. And for that, you are amazing. That is such an incredible story and I'm so thankful and, and grateful for all the support you've given me over the years. Now, 
Speaking of LPSC, let's get to the fun news. Just like last year, we'll be hosting a listener meetup on the Sunday before the conference. So if you're in the Houston area and you want to come up to the Woodlands, Texas, we're having a great get together at eight o'clock in the lobby bar of the Waterway Marriott on March 17th. I had first published that we would be having it at the Goose's Acre pub outside the hotel, just like last year, but our friend and past guest pointed out on Twitter that maybe an Irish pub wouldn't be the best place to hold a get together on St. Patrick's Day. So I guess I needed a real Irish person to point that out to me. So thank you, Lauren. Anyway, all the details are at events.offnominal.space and everyone is welcome. Okay, let's get exploring Gale Crater. All right, so we're here with Kristen Bennett from the United States Geological Survey now, right? You've, uh, you've switched positions recently, I think. Yeah, that's correct. How are you doing today, Kristen? I'm doing pretty great. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, there's a little bit of snow in Vancouver. We're not used to snow. Um, oh, how are you dealing with it? A, <laughs> not very well. I'm a very, I'm very bad Canadian. I don't like winter or snow at all, um, which is why I, I moved to the warmest part of Canada. And so I get really upset when there's snow here, but uh, uh-huh. I think I'll get through it. I grew up in Southern California, so I also don't deal with snow very well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to talk about Curiosity today and a little bit of some of its recent um, traverse news, we'll call it, I guess. But before we dig into that, I would love to just learn a little bit about you. Um, you know, what's your background? Where did you get your education and how the heck did you get into exploring Mars? <laughs> yeah, so I did my undergrad at UCLA and I was looking around for different majors and I was like, oh my gosh, you can study space. And so I ended up majoring in astrophysics and then decided that looking at planets a little bit closer to home was uh, where my passion was. And so I ended up going to grad school at ASU to study geological sciences and, and to study Mars. And I, I really got my first taste uh, at UCLA. I was in a class on uh, Mars and I walked up to the professor after class and I was like, can I do research with you? And he was like, uh, we're crashing a spacecraft into the moon this week. Can I talk to you next week? And <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty great. That ended up being uh, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, the L-Cross impact. Yeah. And so uh, I spent some of my time in undergrad working with the Diviner Thermal Instrument there looking at the moon. And... Uh, that was really exciting and I still love the moon and now I'm a co-eye on that instrument, but I really wanted to look at Mars and I was so interested in the Mars rovers. So when I was looking at grad schools, I made sure to look at places that, that I could study Mars and ASU ended up being that place for me. Yeah. I, I, it seems to be like a very common trend where, um, you're interested in space. And so like the, the most obvious choices tend to be like either astronomy or astrophysics. Right. And then, the planet people kind of find their way a little bit down that road, you know, like where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I actually don't want to look that far out. I just want to stay in this solar system. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what, what like, the deal is with that. but Well, you have to, for astronomy, you're looking at like points of light, right? And I just really love seeing the images come down from the rovers and seeing like the ground resolved and being able to look at rocks on the surface of another planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, mm-hmm. I uh, no offense to the to the astro people, but I just uh, I can't imagine staring at those uh, like you know points of light or light curves even or right. anyway we're getting we're off track here. Um, so what what is your current position now at the USGS? My title is space research scientist, which is pretty great actually, uh, and I'm 
what do I do? Basically, I am a scientist and I full-time do research looking at uh, data on other from other planets, from the missions uh, that are, are out in the solar system right now. And I think before that you were at uh, Northern Arizona University, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I was doing a postdoc there, also looking at uh, Mars rover data. So we've recently heard some news that Curiosity has done this transition. So uh, it's driven off of the Vera Rubin Ridge, which is this kind of, um, you know, iron rich area. And it's moved to a new place they're calling clay bearing unit. I, I'm assuming they're going to come up with a more interesting name than that at some we, point. We did very recently. We have decided to call it Glen Torridon. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. I read that. I didn't realize it was the name of the, the actual place. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So maybe could, could you give us some context on what that is? Like, what are the, you know, a clay bearing unit? What is a unit? What is the the context of what these kind of different regions are? Yeah. So basically, uh, Curiosity went to Gale Crater to explore Mount Sharp, the big mountain in the center of the crater. And so we've always, since the beginning, been driving towards the mountain and then starting to go up the side of the mountain. And so as we're going, we from orbit, you start mapping... Uh, using orbital data sets, you start mapping the different things and seeing what different kinds of things you're going to be driving through uh, to see if you can predict uh, what you're going to see. And it's it's useful to start categorizing and classifying areas and seeing how they're different than each other. And so, for example, we drove through some sand dunes and we went on this ridge, the Bear Rubin Ridge, and off of that, we're showing up at this area that from orbit, it has some really strong signatures uh, that show clay minerals. And so that's one of the reasons why we went to this place, uh, to Gale Crater in general, is just to go look for these clay minerals that have that indicate water. And so that's why this is such a big deal as we're coming off of this ridge unit, Vera Rubin Ridge, and starting to, to come into this other place that uh, from orbit looks different than what we've been seeing so far. Okay. Is there like, is there a significant change in sort of how the mission operates as we move from these kind of different regions? Is it like, how does the, the mission itself change or is it just simply scenery? Uh, it changes a little bit in that you're thinking about different questions that you want to be asking. So on Vera Ribbon Ridge, it was, why is this a ridge? What is up with all of this hematite, the iron that's up there? And so you want to make sure that you can get the data to answer those questions. And so now that we're moving into this clay bearing unit, Glen Torridon, that from orbit, it looks like there's a bunch of clay minerals everywhere. Uh, the questions are changing a little bit. And so we want to make sure that we are getting the the observations that will answer the questions. And you never really know before you get to a different kind of unit uh, what the operations are going to look like. So for example, up on the ridge, we ended up spending a lot of time driving around looking for rocks that we could drill because those rocks were just so hard that it took a while to find something that the drill could handle. And so in the clay bearing unit, we don't really know yet how the operations are going to change. Uh, so far, uh, it's been pretty great, easy driving because it's pretty smooth terrain. So that's an interesting part of operations that's been that's changed recently. Hmm. And, and I imagine that we, we tend to learn as we go through these different regions, we tend to pick up skills that makes it a little... Um, easier or, or, you know, give us tricks on how to navigate these terrains, even if we've never been there before, right? Yeah, definitely. And so this is the type of thing, like at the beginning, uh, 
of the mission. I've only been part of the the team for two years, two and a half years. Uh, but at the beginning, I know that they had to very carefully pick where they were driving because of the the wear on the wheels. And so now we know what types of terrain are helpful for the wheels and because of that previous experience. So now it's like, oh, everywhere is the great is the kind of terrain that's great for the rover in this particular <laughs> area. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And and what is the typical um, duration of, of a stay in one of these places? I think we were on Vera Rubin for a year, year and a half, but like, is that kind of typical? Uh, so it's changed over, over the mission because at the beginning, these campaigns tended to be shorter, just one stop, but we would spend, you know, weeks to a month there to really fully characterize it. And then as the mission has been going for quite some time now, several years, uh, it's not as feasible to keep doing these in-depth, like, stops, um, and just staying in one place for a month or something like that. And so these campaigns are starting to get a bit longer. Like we're, we're probably going to be spending, we're hoping we're going to be spending less than a year uh, in the clay bearing unit, uh, just based on how far uh, the, the route is going to be in there at the distances and accounting for drilling and things like that. So uh, yeah, I'd say about less than a year, hopefully. And, but you know, you never know the very ribbon Ridge, we ended up spending a bit more time because as I said, we were looking for rocks to drill. Yeah, well, it makes me laugh because you and I met at uh, LPSC last year, which is, I mean, it's late February now, so it was almost a year ago. And we were, we talked, oh, we should, ha- we should talk on the podcast about the clay bearing unit. And we were ac- anticipating August, I think, is what we <laughs> thought that we were going to talk. And here we are, you know, six months after that, eight months after yep. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we actually started talking about uh, the clay bearing unit in, in detail on the team right when we arrived at Fair Rubin Ridge because we thought we were just going to spend a couple months ago. So it's been a year and a half now since I've been really starting to think about uh, the, the, big questions and how to do operations in in this unit and so i'm really excited that we're finally here <laughs> i can imagine yeah <laughs> um and then maybe just like from a um an operational standpoint i'm like an operations guy i love learning mm-hmm. the, the bits and pieces of how we do these things um I, I understand there's kind of like you called it a campaign and there's kind of like a team behind each one of these regions right and it's kind of like a handoff where like one science working group or something takes takes control of the mission in a sense. Could you maybe explain that? Yeah. So it kind of comes up organically of like, you know what, the clay unit is coming up. We've haven't really talked about it in a while. We should make sure that there's a group of people who are thinking about this and developing the questions and things like that. And so uh, it's kind of varied how it's worked on the team overall. It's like one of the campaigns in Pahrump Hills, for example, that was when we got from the rocks that were on the crater floor to like the first rocks that were part of Mount Sharp. And so there was a, a whole campaign about Pahrump Hills trying to understand the change from the crater floor to Mount Sharp. And so that was, uh, you know, one group that was really interested in, in figuring that out. And it's not usually limited. It's not like people are picked to be in these groups. It's definitely open to the entire team. It's just whoever um, wants to to call into the meetings whenever uh, they come up. Oh, okay. All right. So then it really probably depends a lot on sort of people's interests and their expertise where they end up, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, I, I started working on this because I had joined the team uh, pretty recently. And, and then we show, started going up to the Vera Rubin Ridge. And I was like, wait, but the clay unit is, is coming soon. And people aren't really talking about it yet and so I 
kind of started to spearhead this group. And I also was talking to Valerie Fox, who's at Caltech right now, because she's at her, for her PhD, she did a lot of the work characterizing the clay minerals using orbital data. And so like for her expertise, that's what uh, it definitely makes sense for her to get more involved in, in, uh, you know, studying this, this place. And, and this was something that I was interested in as right as I got on the team. So that's kind of how, how we got involved in this. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, so let's let's talk about this area a little bit. And maybe dig into some of the science. Um, we we can see it from orbit. We just got there, but maybe what is our what is our our uh, our benchmark in terms of what we know about this place? What what kind of area is it, and uh, you know what do we expect to find there? Yeah. So the the biggest thing from orbit, like we've already said, is it we be, are able to see these clay mineral signatures, and the from the morphology side looking at visible images there are two main parts to this one is called we've called it the smooth ridged unit and the other one is the fractured unit and that's basically looking at high rise high resolution images from orbit part of this area looks pretty smooth but then it has these really weird ridges that are all trending in the same direction uh and then there's also kind of inner like inner like uh spursed with the smooth unit there's also these areas that are more fractured they're they look maybe blocky something like that and so that's what we had to go off of from orbit and it's actually been pretty exciting once we got there because uh we can very clearly see that these are true like these actual these units that we define from orbit are reflected on the ground and it's been kind of fun actually to see on twitter some people are tweeting uh some recent images that the rover has taken and noticing that the terrain has changed because this smooth unit that we're driving in is just really flat with all of these little pebbles. And that looks smooth from uh, orbit because the pebbles are below the resolution of high rise. And so it looks like a smooth, flat surface. And it's just made up of all of these pebbles that are really easy to drive on, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, so I've seen some of the photos and uh, yeah, they're they're kind of boring. They're kind of very, very yeah. plain. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, that, and it's also very hard to target them because they're below the resolution of some of the instruments. But, right. Uh, yeah. Even yeah, not just talking about high rise, but even just some of the onboard uh, rover instruments. Um, I think I read that they were struggling to find one that they could use uh, APXS on, which is the alpha particle X-ray spectrometer. I yeah. Believe. Yeah. That was something that we talked about pretty early on when we, when we arrived was like all of these pebbles are, one or two centimeters in the field of view of APXS is something like three centimeters. And so we immediately had to start developing a strategy to be like, okay, these pebbles are everywhere and they're obviously an important part of the story, but we need to be able to analyze them. And so we had to come up with a strategy to do like these rasters with the APXS instrument to make sure that we could characterize the, the composition of the pebbles. Hmm. So you mentioned clays um and i think most people know what clay is but maybe we should spend a little bit of time talking more deeply about what that means in the context of mars or gale crater like um what what is uh, the importance of clay how is it formed and, and why are we interested in it yeah so clays in this case we're specifically talking about clay minerals uh the reason why everyone on Mars is so interested in them is because they require water to form. And that's really important for the habitability of Mars. And so if we're uh, always looking after that 
biggest, most important question in Mars science is was Mars habitable, 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 uh, and uh, did it ever host life? Then looking for where water was in the past is a really important part of that. And so clays require water to form. And since this was a really big, uh, a, a strong signal from orbit, it was a really good place to come check out. Mm, okay. And is and I've read the word uh, phyllosilicate. Is that the same thing? Is that like a fancy word for clay? Yeah, it's essentially the same thing. And if we want to get even more specific, we're looking at a uh, smectite clays. Uh, that that version of of clays. Yeah. That's one of my favorite uh, geology words. Smectite. It's fun to <laughs> <Smectites>. say. Smectite. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I I read that and kind of playing on what you talked about with you know, follow the water and searching for habitability. This, this area, this Glen Torridon clay bearing unit played a pretty big role in the uh, site selection for Curiosity Landing in Gale Crater. Is that right? Do you, do you know more yeah. about that? Yeah, it definitely is. Well, so Mount Sharp in general is really fascinating because it's a three mile high pile of sedimentary rocks. And, you know, we suspected that maybe it was deposited in water. And then there was this evidence from the mineralogy that, oh, look, there's these minerals that require water to form. And so then suddenly you're looking at this mountain and you're like, ooh, maybe that's a lake. And I mean, it's really exciting that we already have the data on this mission once Curiosity got there that this these sediments were deposited in a lake. And, and so that's a really exciting thing that we've already confirmed. And so then it kind of follows, the question follows that, okay, we've already identified clays, we've already shown that these sediments were deposited in a lake, so what's interesting about this area? And to me, uh, one of the things is that it's we need to answer the question of like, okay, we've been seeing clay minerals along the entire traverse. So why is this place special? Like, is there something fundamentally different about this place? Is the environment going to change? Is the way that the sediments were deposited going to change? Is, are the minerals that are present different than what we've seen already? And what does that tell us about what Mars was like at that time? I, I think it's still really valuable to to and it's going to be really important to study this region that from orbit looked so interesting and you know everything along the way has already been interesting and has already showed us clays and and informed us about the habitability of of mars and so now we have to understand why this particular spot that the orbital data said was interesting what it can tell us Hmm, that's interesting and so this is more like this is standing water would have formed that is that kind of the hypothesis yeah so from you lake, orbit right? you, yeah from orbit you can't tell once we are on the ground and are able to use like chemin and the, and sam and stuff like that then you can start trying to answer that question and i know that the previous results from earlier in the mission is that these um clays were probably de deposited or created like at the time of their deposition because it is possible for something to be deposited like like a layer of volcanic ash or something like that. And then for those minerals to alter into clay uh, afterwards, maybe like with some groundwater or something like that. But mm. I, I think that the the evidence that people found, the team members found earlier in the mission uh, suggests that these clay minerals were made at kind of at the same time as the lake was around. And so we'll have to, 
you know, do that study again with uh, what we find in the clay-bearing unit. But but so far, we think that these clay minerals were formed like around the same time as the lake. Right, right. And and so I'm, I mean, I'm not a geologist, but I'm just kind of piecing together in my brain. So the clays that we found uh, earlier on in the mission would have been lower down the slope. And so they would have mm-hmm. been theoretically deposited earlier than the ones we're at now. Is That's there, correct. Um, is there like based on what you can see from the different clays or, or how we can study them, can we learn about um, like the different, is there going to be compositional difference, I guess, is ba- uh, based on the times that they were deposited? Like, is that kind of the thing we're looking for? Yeah, a little bit. So the biggest differences in the clays that we've seen so far are be- between the ones at Yellowknife Bay and then the ones in the Murray Formation. And that difference is the Yellowknife Bay ones are the the ones that are on the crater floor and the Murray Formation is part of Mount Sharp. And so the, the, those do, those are different types of smectites <laughs> and, uh, the ones on the crater floor, um, they're to get really technical, they're trioctahedral, uh, and they have more like iron, uh, in them, magnesium in them. And so the, whereas the ones that are in the mountain already, uh, that are in Mount Sharp, they are starting to be more dioctahedral. They're these are like the nontronite ones, and so basically what that means is that the clays in Mount Sharp that we've discovered so far have experienced more intense weathering as opposed to the ones that are on on the the crater floor. And so one of the questions is, are we going to keep seeing these more dioctahedral? clays that show more intense weathering like there's more water running through these clays uh uh, as we go further up the mound that's one of the questions that we're asking and that depends on and that mm -hmm. i was gonna say does that does that mean weathering in terms of when they were formed or since then Uh, it's it's i think it's since then and so these might have started a lot of the, the the sediment it starts as you know, basaltic stuff deposited in a lake, right? And then that gets altered into clays. And so these trioctahedral clays are, uh, they're the first thing that form from the basaltic sediment that got settled in the lake. And as there's more time and more water and more weathering, then those can turn into dioctahedral clays. Okay. And so it's basically just more time spent with water and water altering the original basaltic material. Right, right. So uh, Mm -hmm. do you have any, um, maybe, I don't know if the mission has published any ideas on this, but maybe do you personally have any ideas on on what that weathering looked like? Are you thinking it's going to be kind of um, precipitation or is it maybe flowing water over the surface or groundwater? You got any hunches? (laughs) Oh, you know what? I don't. I I was trying to uh, go back over some of what some of the other team members have published in the past, and I I think it's it's more of it, it all has to do with the lake, right? Because that's how all of these sediments were deposited, and so I I suspect it has to do with how long that lake lasted and and stuff like and and mostly that. Right, right, right. Hmm. Does um. Does like wind weathering at all play a, a role in, in altering those clays? Uh, I don't think so right now because uh, bec- in order to alter into clays, it requires water. And so the, the yeah, the wind weathering is more of, of afterwards now that all of these sediments became rocks and now they're exposed and now the wind is kind of weathering the entire surface is what that is about. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm really excited to get a drill sample then because that's going to be kind of the the first big look at uh, um, the insides and you know not just the the dust on the surface, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is is that we technically don't really have instruments besides chemin, besides the things that need the drill that can identify the clay minerals. And so we're, you know, driving around trying to characterize everything and, and understanding the smooth parts and the ridges and the fractured parts and stuff like that. But we're not really going to be able to dig into the questions about the clay minerals until we get a drill sample. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Curiosity is having a little bit of a computer hiccup this week. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but besides that, uh, are you feeling good about the, the health of the Rover? I mean, if this is the kind of the driving force behind the landing site, but we had to wait six years to get here. Like, are, are we in good shape? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The wheels are definitely holding up after, you know, all that publicized, uh, wear at the beginning of the mission, but that we definitely still have a ways to go on the wheels. And, uh, I know that people are starting to talk about power because of the half-life of the RTG, but that's still going strong. Uh, I was looking at numbers recently, and I think that it was something like 110 watts at the start of the mission, and at, after 14 years, that'll go down to 100 watts. Um, and so I think it's it's not noticeable to people on the mission, um, doing the science and the, doing the operations yet. That's good. So we're definitely still in good shape. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, you know, as we look ahead to sort of this, uh, this new phase of the science mission, um, what are maybe some of the more specific questions that you're hoping that we answer um, during this, this phase? Like, are there any observations you're looking for or questions that are like really nagging you that you're, you're hoping we unlock a little bit? Yeah, I guess the thing that's nagging me is it's still about these pebbles. I know that uh, a lot of times people gravitate towards the really nice outcrops of, of bedrock because that if you have an intact outcrop, then you can really understand the context and you can look for sedimentary structures and things like that. And I, I really think that there's so much to be learned from the pebbles and it's going to be kind of hard to figure out how to characterize them fully because we're not going to be able to drill one of them. Uh, so that's something that's nagging me. Uh, another thing that is, kind of weird that we need to figure out is, you know, we were talking about how the rover's driving up the side of Mount Sharp, uh, but it was just on a ridge. And so we came down off of the ridge, but then we're going to keep going back uphill. So when you think about the stratigraphy of the region, it's like, is the Vera Ribbon Ridge stratigraphically on top of the clay bearing unit? Because we had to go down from it or is the very ribbon ridge stratigraphically below the clay bearing unit because most like as as we keep driving in it we're going to end up at an elevation higher than it so that's one of the big questions that we need to figure out is just like where does the clay bearing unit how does it even fit into mount sharp um does it sit on top of very did it come before very ribbon ridge did it come afterwards uh that's a that's a big question that we need to uh get some good uh data to to answer Right, because in a in a perfect world, uh, they'd be layered from bottom up would be oldest to youngest. But there's mm-hmm. I mean, things like, for example, the impact that formed Gale Crater would theoretically have caused some changes to that potentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll see. We're we're driving along the edge of the the VRR right now. And so as we're driving along that scarp, we're taking images of uh, where the, the Vera Ribbon Ridge meets the clay bearing unit. 
and we'll use those to try to tease out their relationship. Interesting. Um, I want to pick up on the, the thing you said about the pebbles and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I actually haven't even thought about it, but how like, do we have an idea on how these kinds of pebbles would form? Or are they just broken up clays that have been blown around by the wind, wind or like, is there something different going on there? Right. And like the very easy answer is, oh, they're broken up pieces of rocks. But that's really unsatisfying to me, which is why like I keep thinking about the pebbles. Right. Um, but it's like, why are we need to figure out why the these particular rocks are forming these pebbles as opposed to breaking down in other ways like crumbling uh, into dust or or something like that uh, and so it's the pebbles kind of seem they might be hard and so in that case uh, I don't, it's it's just kind of weird basically you need to figure out why the rocks are breaking down in the ways that they are and is one of the questions that we have is well where are the clay signatures coming from is it from the coherent bedrock that makes up the fractured clay bearing unit or is for some reason the clays breaking down into pebble sized rocks and and that's where the clay signature is from it's it's kind of a big question right now that we still are trying to figure out interesting yeah are they are they pretty hard pebbles we think like if we drove over it could we crush one or something um, I don't know. That's a good question because the pebbles, the pebble, the pebbles are all interspersed um, with sand, and so by driving over the pebbles, right. we've just kind of like pushed them into the sand. Um, but that is something that uh, we might think about doing. I saw some of the images came down. We drove across a ripple uh, last week, mm-hmm. um, and so that was trying to disturb the soil and seeing what's going on in there. And so I don't think that we would end up breaking any of the pebbles we'd probably just push them down more right right okay well that's awesome i mean that, that sounds like it's some pretty exciting um science questions and I, I personally i think it's just kind of fun to have a little bit of a change of pace because the story of oh this rock's too hard we got to go to the next one was kind of little, <laughs> it's getting a little old for me at least <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'm a little nervous the story here is going to be like well this rock is too small to drill we have to go <laughs> drive to find another rock that's bigger yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. okay mm-hmm. well hopefully it's not uh, too bad at this time at least but Okay, well, we're wrapping up here. Um, you know, before we go, is there anything um, anywhere on the internet you'd like listeners to to learn more about you or find you, or any websites you want to plug and and share? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a Twitter handle. It's uh, Planet Kilo Bravo, uh, and that's kind of the only social media that I have right now. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes then. Well. Kristen, this was an awesome conversation. Thanks for teaching us about uh, Glenn Torridon. It's going to be—it sounds like it's going to be a, a very different and exciting um, uh, part of the mission. And I look forward to learning more about what you guys are learning. Yeah, thanks for chatting and being interested in it. I think the rover's gotten to a really exciting place, and it'll be really great to to learn what we can from it. Yeah. Are you presenting any any work at LPSC this year? Uh, I'm presenting some things from my lunar work. Uh, I know that there are plenty. I'm a co-author on plenty of uh, curiosity work, so there's there's a lot to <laughs> to see from there. And I know I think there's one someone uh, even submitted an abstract on Kemen, and I was like, okay, I don't think we're gonna have a drill by then, but we can think about what the drill will tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. Well, we'll see you there, I guess. Yeah, I'll see you there. That's it for now, Martians. 
Special thanks to Kristen for agreeing to an interview and then patiently waiting along with me through the drill troubles of Vera Rubin Ridge for almost a whole year. It was great to finally have you on for a good chat. If you've got questions or thoughts on the episode, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to email me at info at wemartians.com or reach us on Twitter at we underscore Martians. If you liked the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. It's as cheap as a buck a month. You get tons of bonus content too, including audio from this interview, additional audio. Plus, you help support the We Martians Travel Grant, which is a very fun thing that we've done together. Check it out at patreon.com slash wemartians or in the show notes. And if that's not your thing, let us know how you feel on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to Shinobi and Mel BBY from Canada for your five-star ratings and reviews. See you next time and at Aries, Martians. Thank you.